So Money, episode 1104, Chris Browning, host of Popcorn Finance. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Charabi. You may be listening to the show and not struggling with your finances, but maybe you have a loved one or a close friend or a partner who is, who may have lost her job or lost his job or facing hardships. How do you manage that relationship? How do you share what's going on with you without making them feel bad? How do you extend your help to this loved one without, again, making them feel bad? My guest today, Chris Browning, loves to tackle these types of questions. He is the creator and host of the award-winning short-form podcast, Popcorn Finance, as well as co-host of the Colin Money Advice Show, This Is Awkward. With Popcorn Finance, every week, Chris discusses finance in about the time it takes to make a bag of popcorn. His topics range from understanding the basics of investing to his love of tiny homes. Chris has a bachelor's in finance with an emphasis in financial planning, and he still works full-time as a financial analyst specializing in revenue analysis. We talk about the genesis of popcorn finance, how it is able to tackle big topics, sticky issues in bite-sized shows. And we talk about race and how certain freedoms like deciding where you want to live, a basic freedom, that people of color have a harder time embracing and how that impacts their ability to build wealth. A lot of people are moving right now, but if you're a person of color, the decision to move may not be so easy. And Chris explains why. Here's Chris Browning. My friend, Chris Browning, welcome to So Money, host of Popcorn Finance. It's nice to share the mic with a fellow podcaster. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Farnoosh. I'm really excited to be joining you today. Appreciate you sending out the invite. Yeah, and returning the favor. You had me on your show last spring when we were launching the Stacks House and was really impressed with your interview style and just your whole idea behind Popcorn Finance. This is a show that you run on top of your work as a financial analyst, at what point did you decide you wanted to branch out with the podcast? What was the impetus for that? You know, it, it really all came from the fact that I, I really wasn't doing what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I, I went to college and the plan was when I got out was to be a financial planner. That's what I had studied. I was really excited to do that side of things. And I graduated in the middle of the recession. And basically every job I was being offered was a sales job. And yeah. uh, that's not really my thing. I wasn't too excited to to sell some things that I wasn't really interested in. And I just kind of roundabout ended up in the accounting world. I ended up uh, doing payroll and running a payroll department for seven years before I became an analyst. And during that time, it, was, it really just was, I wasn't happy with what I was doing. And uh, my hope was that I'd be able to teach personal finance and help people out with their money. And I wasn't doing that at all. I was doing the, the, one of the farthest things from it, something I never imagined I'd end up doing. But I always found myself being the person at every job, like showing people how to sign up for the 401k and what do these terms mean? I, always, I was always kind of doing that, uh, even though that wasn't my job. And the podcast kind of just came to mind as a, a way to still teach, even though I still had to you know, feed my family and maintain my, uh, my day job. And do you feel like you bring to the table a different approach, a different philosophy? Your show is different, which we'll get into the format, which I think is brilliant in its sort of, you know, bite-sized financial advice. But Chris Browning, what's your money mantra? 
you know, it's changed over the years. But I think the fact that I never ended up getting into the financial services industry like I planned to, I, I think for me, I'm coming from a place of, you know, I'm just like everyone else. And this is all can be very confusing. It can be very difficult. It can be very scary. And for me, my mantra has been, this may sound scary and difficult, but anyone can do this. You just need a little bit of help and maybe someone to guide you and help you understand some of these terms that are thrown out there that can be intimidating. And you do it with brevity, but also precision. Many of your episodes are intentionally brief. You say that the show's length is about the time it takes to make a bag of popcorn, hence the show Popcorn Finance. In my house, a bag of popcorn takes three minutes in the microwave. <laughs> I know your shows tend to be, you know, they're, they're not just three minutes. They're, they can go on for 20 minutes. And you talk, you tackle some pretty meaty stuff like investing and home buying. How do you do it in such a brief period of time? Like, what's your goal? You want to make sure that you're at least going to educate your listeners on this X, Y, and Z bef- by the end of the show so that it's not just fluff. You know, it, it, it's evolved over time and I've gotten better at it. My brother still tells me because he listens to the show and he's like, man, you burned the popcorn on that episode. I don't know what you're doing, but that was a, That's hilarious. That was a long one. <laughs> but, you know, it, or there was it, too it, much butter on that popcorn. You didn't get to the it was too sweet or what? I don't know. I'm, oh, my God, I got to stop. I, no, I tell them we're just making multiple bags of popcorn. Like this was, you know, I have guests <laughs> over. And so it's not just for me. It's for everyone. So, you know, you do one bag at a time. That's my excuse. But, but <laughs> what I found is that I have to kind of focus in on the question. And I have to, before we get ready for the interview, before we talk, I have to think, what are the most important pieces of information I want to get out of this conversation? Or if I was listening to this, what what am I here for? What did I come to hear the answer to? And I try to hone in on that and just try to jump right into those key questions. Because even though my show maybe is not always three minutes, I typically try to keep it under 10 minutes when I can. And you really can only ask maybe two questions, maybe three if they're really quick questions. And I just try to get to the point and find that key point and bring the conversation out of the guest. And they typically will inform the the way the show goes from there. Like I bring out a question mm-hmm. and I kind of just listen to them and say, oh, you know, this seems to be the really key point they're trying to get to. And we'll just focus on that and just try to keep it as tight as I can. It's so smart, you know, just from a production standpoint and a marketing standpoint, there are so many podcasts out there, so many financial podcasts at this point. And I think part of what makes your show subscribable, you know, because at some point, listeners, they only have so much time and dedication to their podcast. And it's really hard to convert people or to add a a show to the roster. Uh, But because your show promises sort of these these precise short episodes it's an easy download it's it's like a no brainer like of course i want to i want to subscribe to popcorn finance it's giving me something that none of the other shows are and it's packaging it in a way that no other show is oh, thank you i really appreciate that you know that that was my hope and this it all came from the fact that you know i live out here in southern california and all we do is drive we're just in a car it feels like hours every day and i got in the habit of listening to all these podcasts and i probably even currently, I probably subscribe to somewhere between 30 to 40 podcasts. And for me, there wasn't really at the time anything short. And I was like, sometimes I want to just hear like a little quick piece of information and kind of move on because my attention span is not always, you know, <laughs> I'm, my brain is not always willing to sit there for, you know, an hour and a half or some of the shows I really like. And that's kind of where the idea came from, because with money, it's already scary enough. If you can kind of present it in something that's a little more easy to digest, I was like, maybe people will will pick this up and add it into the rotation. And you've started another podcast with Allison Baggerly, who's been on the show and she's a huge, very popular 
budgeting queen, and you have a show with her now called This Is Awkward. Tell me about that because I've only seen a little bit about it online. I haven't actually listened to an episode. I'm going to get to it. Oh, well, well, thanks for bringing that up. Allison is great. We met because she was a guest on my show and then we just kind of became friends. We stayed in contact and then she came back again and she was just so good on the microphone. She was so fun to talk to. She has great energy and she's also really knowledgeable. And we always would say, hey, you know, what if we started a podcast together? You know, that seems like that'd be fun. And so we just kind of started to come together with this idea of what is something right now that we don't hear a lot about in the podcast space with money? And one thing that we thought of was you don't hear a lot of people kind of just doing um, like an advice show, but not like this is what you should do with your money. But how do you handle these weird money situations you find yourselves in? Because we've all had that situation where you're dealing with money and a friend or a family member and it just gets really weird and awkward. And you're kind of like, I don't even know how to get through this this particular situation. So that became the, the premise of the show. We have people call in and they leave us their awkward money situations. And, and our whole goal, the whole premise is, we will help them get through it without, you know, losing those friends and family members that they're dealing with along the way. So we try to give, you know, our advice and, but also make it fun along the way. So it's not, you know, we, we're not, you know, we're not therapists. We're not licensed to be giving, you know, specific advice like that, but it's more so, Hey, if this is what we were dealing with, this is how we would, this is how we would handle it. And these are some crazy things that have happened to us in mm-hmm. similar situations. Well, I have a question now that um, maybe I can pretend like we're on this is awkward, uh, but I'm going to call in now and ask you, it's the pandemic. It's the pandemic recession. Maybe you already answered this question on your show, but I feel like something that is awkward right now is there are families that have been hard hit through job loss and experiencing COVID and having um, periods of unemployment and getting furloughed. And so financially, a lot of people, everyone knows someone is hurting financially. You may be that person. And then there's those, there's others within the same friend group or family that aren't, that are still employed. Maybe they're getting promoted. And that creates awkwardness because you don't know really how to share your good news with your family members. And at the same time, maybe you want to help and you don't know what's the right way to extend help because you don't want to make them feel bad. So have you tackled that, which is very of the times, you know, that awkward mm-hmm relational financial you know awkwardness um, and any advice you may have for people that are that are in the camp of you know I'm doing well one I don't know if it's appropriate to really celebrate it with my family and make them feel bad potentially but I, and also on the same token I want to help them so what's the appropriate way to reach out oh that's a great one we need we need to have you call in for I'm happy you can just <laughs> strip this audio and throw it in the next episode <laughs> that's a great one we haven't covered this one this one in particular but We've done something similar where it's having those like awkward conversations about, you know, your pay or your salary with other people. Um, and this is one of those things you have to approach with real care and sensitivity to the audience, to the person you're speaking with, because like you said, not ev- right now, you just don't know. And most people aren't advertising, you know, how they are doing financially right now. So you really don't know when you speak with a friend or family member what's going on in their lives. And so if you're the person going up to them and maybe you either are saying, hey, this is something great that happened to me or whether you want to check in on them. I think it's very important to come into that conversation, to come into that space with care and, and caution and mm, not just brag. Like if you're talking, hey, something great happened to me, maybe start the conversation just casually about them. Maybe bring them into the conversation, make it a, a back and forth. And then you can say, oh, hey, you know, something really great happened to me at work. And then 
leave it at that. And if they are engaging and they're like, hey, you know, that's tell me more about that, then that's kind of your your permission, your your invitation to continue and go into more detail. But if you see they're kind of like, oh, well, you know, that that that's great. That's cool. And they don't really want to engage anymore. You know, maybe they're not ready for that conversation. Maybe there's something going on that would make this a difficult conversation for them to have. You just leave it at that. And I think letting the other person kind of guide it and see their reaction before you just jump in. And but once that once you've gotten through that point, then you know where you can go with the conversation. I like that advice. You know, and the reason I ask this is because I've been hearing from listeners. I do calls once a week with some listeners and um, through social media, direct messages, people like, hey, you know, I'm, I actually got a promotion. And mm. I feel like I'm the first person they're telling because they know I'll be happy <laughs> for them. But I can only imagine they may be keeping it from their loved ones. And I don't want people to feel feel as though they can't, you know, celebrate what's what's good, what's happening to them. But of course, you have to be sensitive and you have to be empathetic. And, and sometimes it's not the right time to talk about what's great in your life, but, uh, you know, reserve those moments carefully. Yeah. And that, that's a great way to put it because you, you don't know what anyone's dealing with and mm. you don't want to come off as bragging and like, yeah, you just, or you know, you're doing so great, too bad for you. You know, you, you don't want to come off that way with friends and family. Right. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for that freebie. <laughs> no charge at all. You cover so many dynamic issues on popcorn finance. Um, you did a series on tiny home living. Where do you get your ideas? I get a lot of ideas from my audience, but um, where, where are your instincts? You know, for me, it really honestly comes from what is like, I, what am I finding interesting right now? Or where is my mind at? And when I did the tiny home series, I had just become obsessed with tiny homes. I have no idea why. I think we, <laughs> me and my wife were sitting down to watch like Tiny House Nation or something on TV. I have no idea where this came from. But I just got like, it, it just was like, this is so amazing. People are doing this. And, uh, you know, I also at the same time, I think I was reading um, The Year of Less by Kate Flanders. And I was like purging stuff and getting rid of all these things out of my house. And I was like, these kind of go together. This whole minimalism and tiny living because you can't really put a bunch of junk in a tiny house. And because I was so fascinated with it, it, that kind of led me into developing that series. And that's kind of how I go through, how I go about you know building these episodes. Unless someone asks a specific, specific question, it's more so like, what is really interesting to me right now? And what do I think someone would be interested in hearing about? Like if, if it was something boring that I was fascinated about, I probably wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't yeah. waste people's time <laughs> with that. You know, when I was at Yahoo Finance running Financially Fit, it was this awesome three year long video series we did. We went to, we covered tiny homes. This was back, we were ahead of it. It was like 20, I don't know, 13, 2012. This was before there was the show and before it was like a real national thing. And it was very popular. Listen, viewers loved it because it's visually very fascinating. Is it really a great thing to have in a pandemic? I'm not convinced. I don't know if people right now are like, I wish I was in a tiny home. You know, I had someone write to me and they were like, me and my partner, we just got out of our tiny home. And it was because of the pandemic. Yeah. They said that it was just too close. Like there's nowhere to go. Like if you're, if you, <laughs> you can love someone, but you don't want to see not, them. Not 24 seven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. So what is your greatest money memory from childhood, Chris? I like to ask guests about growing up and their money influences. Well, this is a great question because, you know, my family and I, we didn't really talk about money. Like, I don't remember ever like sitting down with them and them telling me, you know, this is how we manage our money or, you know, this is what you should do. Like we never talked about it. So I don't have like any formal lessons in that way. But one thing I remember is learning kind of how to like 
hustle and not like, you know, the, the everyday hustle grind thing that's kind of going on right now. It's more so like you can find creative ways to make money if you don't have it. And you may not be, able, you know, I didn't get rich in any of these plans I had, but you, there's little things you can do if you need some extra money here and there to bring in some cash. And I remember one of the things I used to do was, I think I can talk about this now because I think the statute of limitations is up. I would, uh, I would sell mixed CDs in high school. So I would go around and I would talk to people like, Hey, you know, what music are you listening to? And I would make little lists I and I would it. go and, and like burn <laughs> these, these mixed CDs and like sell them to people for like $2. Um, and you know, this was early, this is early on. We didn't all know about piracy. I wouldn't do that now, but back then <laughs> I was able to It was the advanced mixed tape. Yeah. You know, I couldn't make a Spotify playlist to send to someone. So I had to make it physical. So that's what, that's what I was doing. And you know, it helped me rent a few extra games at a uh, blockbuster in the summer. <laughs> blockbuster. Oh my gosh. Um, what's your get rich plan? Do you have one? I'm going to start asking guests this because you, you went, what sparked it was you said, like, I didn't have this. I don't know what, what it was exactly that you said, but something I thought you said something about like get rich. It wasn't going to make you rich, but as an adult, do you think about, I think about this a lot. Like what's going to be my exit strategy? Like I invest in my portfolio, but like, what else? What else can really catapult you to, into wealth? Investing in a business? What? Buying real estate? For you, have you thought about that? That is a really great question. And I, I think I've thought about it a little, maybe not as much as I, I probably should. But I would say, especially out here in California, real estate for me out here is it's so expensive. I have not even dipped my toe into that yet. Uh, but I think doing other things outside of my day job and I, 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 having this podcast has started to make me think of the fact that I don't have to be limited to just doing one thing. And I'm really appreciative of my day job. It pays the bills and you know, it allows me to save for retirement, all those great things. But anything could happen with that job. And you're not always going to love something forever. And doing this podcast has made me think, okay, well, what other things do I enjoy? What other things can I do? Or what other skills have I picked up that I can now use to build something else? And maybe it's not necessarily a transition point. Like I'm not necessarily going to quit my job and you know do the podcast full time. I may, I may not, but I could always have that as a business in addition to what I'm doing. And that's something that I didn't really think of starting when I started out with all of these things. I didn't really have a, a big you know grand plan when I began doing this. But the idea that I could have something outside of my day job, my day job doesn't have to be the only thing that sustains me or provides income. And by combining a day job plus something else that I'm doing that I can turn into a business is a way of maybe accelerating my path to retirement or allowing me to, to do things financially that I couldn't do before. Have you thought about leaving California, given uh, now everyone's thinking of moving somewhere else now? You know, I've talked to my wife about it. All of our family is out here. So that's probably the the number one thing that's keeping us here is all of our family and friends are out here. And you just kind of get, we just love it out here so much. We love the the environment. We love the the weather. And especially with everything going on in the country right now, it kind of opened our eyes a little bit more to the fact that being too black individuals, you do have to think about the places you choose to live. And so as of right now, we're like, you know, California has been a great place to us, a great home and somewhere where we haven't really faced too many issues. And so for the time being, you know, we're like, California still is home and we haven't really made a serious consideration of leaving the state. Can you expand on that a little bit? How as a person of color, as a black person, you really have to think about where you live. I want to, I want you, I want to hear more about that from you. Yeah. You know, my wife and I, we've been having these conversations more and more lately for obvious reasons. And 
being in being in this finance space and I've done the podcast and I've talked to all these people who have used the price difference and maybe their salary and they can work, they can work remotely and we're going to move to all these different states that are much less expensive to live in. They're like, oh, you know, this is a great option. Have you ever considered doing this? And I've talked to my wife about it and, and our response is always, well, I don't know what it would be like living there or raising kids there and how they would be accepted or, or fit in because, I mean, the sad truth is being a person of color, being black, being Latino, being being someone who does not necessarily the predominant ethnicity in an area can be an issue. And you're not always welcome where you go. I remember my my dad, he's from Arkansas. So we would go out there and visit family. And one year, my uh, my grandmother passed away. And so we drove out there with my wife, my brother and I, we just drove from California out to Arkansas. And I remember we stopped um, in a small city in Texas. I don't remember exactly where we were. But I remember we were like, okay, we need a place to stay for the night. We found like a you know, Holiday Inn. It was a, a normal hotel. It wasn't like somewhere in the back <laughs> back alley somewhere. And I remember we walked in and everyone just stared at us the entire time. Like everyone was just looking at us, like, like what are you what are you doing here? And it's a really weird experience. And living in California, that can still happen here. We we're not exempt from those issues at all in any way. But it is a very diverse population. There are a lot of pockets with a lot of diversity and a lot of people from all different backgrounds. And so we don't experience it that often. And the fact is, it's not true wherever you go. So we do have to think about where we choose to live. And we can't just close our eyes and pick a spot on the map and say, this is going to be home and we're going to be part of this community and everyone's going to welcome us in. Because honestly, you know, it's it's sad to say in 2020, you think that wouldn't be the case, but but it is. I tell you, this podcast, it just keeps me learning. And this is something that I never thought, you know, but it makes 100% sense, sadly, because when you live in a country that where we have a very racist foundation to this country, which is hard to escape and still very much a real part of our culture, as a Black person, you do have to think about, you have to unfortunately stop and think about your safety and your welcomeness and in all aspects, including where you live. And I don't think I ever was led to think of, of that, but, um, thank you for opening my eyes to that. That's, that's tough. Yeah, no, and it's, it's, it's a a weird reality and it's not something I think about every day. And I know not everyone holds these beliefs and I, I have friends, I have white friends, black friends. I have, uh, a lot of my close friends are Filipino. We know Korean, we, we, we're in a melting pot here and I've had a, the ability to make friends from all different cultures. And so I know it's not the case that everyone's that way, but the thing is there are still enough people out right. there who, who don't accept everyone to make it an issue. Right. And so when I say racist country, I'm like, I'm speaking like very broadly, oh, yeah. generally, like obviously, you know, I don't want to offend anyone who's listening and thinking, I'm not, you know, that's not me, but um, we have to open our eyes to this reality and why, again, it's so important to have you in this space, Chris, because I do feel like when it comes to financial advice and the financial advice community, we all win when we have more people of color and and different experiences and backgrounds voicing in this community because that's how we get to more inclusivity and honestly, like getting more people to believe that they are not only deserving but capable of achieving financial health and wellness. Yeah, that is so true because we. I don't, I don't think it's always understood how much representation matters and seeing someone who looks like you 
do something that you didn't think was possible or was an option or you never even heard of is so meaningful. Uh, I remember uh, I didn't know about the whole fire movement and, you know, people were retiring much earlier than 65 or 70. And I, it was like all new when I heard about this. And it was um, Jamila Sufran. She does Journey to Lunch. She was a person who introduced me to it and to, we talked about it. And she was like, oh, yeah, this is what I'm working towards. And these are other people I've talked to. And I was like, people do this <laughs> like us. And she was like, yeah. And, uh, and it was I it was just there's something special and different about hearing it and seeing it from someone who look like me, who we don't have the same background, obviously, you know, we didn't grow up exactly the same way, but it was, it was someone representing my culture who is doing something or at least working towards something that now it's like, Oh, I, I think I could try this. And I should learn more about this. And it's, it's, it's so powerful seeing those, those examples out in real life. Do you consider yourself part of the fire movement? I just did a series, uh, a little series on the fire movement and intentionally featuring people of color. Um, Jamila has been on the show before. I, I do think that part of the problem is the media who does not unveil all of the faces <laughs> to this movement, that it's been largely chartered and led by white engineers from Silicon Valley. And yeah, they may be the majority of them, but it's definitely not the trend anymore that I feel like it's trending more in the direction of people who are are fresher faces. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I consider myself part of the fire community in that I'm, you know, I'm a little bit later to the game and learning about this. I was a little bit older by the time I found out about all this and I'm maybe taking a little bit slower of an approach to it. But I, I think we are seeing more examples and it's great when there's platforms like yours who uh, give these different people voices. Like I just listened to your interview with Our Rich Journey. Yes. Uh, Amon and Christina. Yeah. They, they live in Portugal. Yeah. And it's amazing. And it always throws me off because we have the same last name and I don't know them. I've never met them before. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you should dive deeper because then you might be invited to their, their, their Portugal abode. They're so inspiring and they are from, I think the Bay area. So, but now, but now they're international and you better believe I've been refreshing my browser. I want to learn how to do that. And I don't think I can yet because of all the COVID restrictions, you can't actually move to a foreign country as an American right now. Yeah. Not really excited <laughs> we got to get our numbers <laughs> down so I can leave. I was just talking to my wife, like, you know, what's going on with Canada right now? <laughs> what are they doing right now? <laughs> and start over someplace just- else. Before we wrap, Chris, um, what's been a recent so money win for you that was that you want that you want to brag about? Because we all we all like to support on this show. Maybe you haven't told your family because you're afraid they're going <laughs> to. <laughs> I haven't had that awkward conversation yeah. with my parents yet. Uh, I would say most recently it's been um, the fact that so we've we paid off all of our debt. We have no we, we're renting, so we don't have a mortgage right now. But we have no other we have no debt at all right now, which has been huge for us. And we've also saved up a six month emergency fund. So we we're in a much different position than we were years ago. And for the first time, there's just like money hanging out in our checking account because we're, we're funding our retirement plans in order to match those or max those out. And it's like, it's very strange to still have money left over. And so a big thing that happened was, I mean, it's kind of like a mix of like a positive and a bad thing. But uh, my uncle, actually in Arkansas, he, um, he was hospitalized with uh, COVID-19. And so he was in the ICU for a couple of weeks and thankfully he's, he's going home now. So we just got, we just heard back from yesterday that he's on his way back home. Um, but we, my family wanted to help him out and send some money to help their family out. Cause he has three young kids and I was able to just to go into my checking account and just send them money. Wow. And it not, not even flinch. Like it didn't throw off any of my other plans. 
It didn't stop me from doing anything else. All my bills still were paid. I didn't have to pull from my savings. And it was a weird experience. And it was, I was really happy to be able to do, to, to help someone without also at the same time feeling concerned about what was going to happen to us financially. Cause I've done that before where I've helped someone out and I'm like, Oh, I don't know if I should have gave them that much money. We'll see. We'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. And so this was a really huge win to be able to help someone and feel good and have no guilt or fear on the, on the backside of that. That is so money. We're really happy for your uncle. Truly, that is the embodiment of being so money to your definition of being able to help somebody else out financially without it jeopardizing your finances. And and, and the feeling you get from that is unmatched. There is no better feeling. Yeah, I agree 100%. And it's, um, I'm looking forward to the future of being able to continue to do that. Well, we look forward to having you back as you build your wealth and you build your platform. Uh, Chris Browning, thank you so much. Everybody check out Popcorn Finance. I was on the show last year and it was a lot of fun. And since then, you've had amazing people and, and topics on the show. And also check out This Is Awkward podcast with Allison Baggerly. Thanks so much, Chris. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Farnoosh. Thanks so much to Chris for joining me. Check out Popcorn Finance. Subscribe, subscribe. Also, This Is Awkward, co-hosted by Chris Browning and Allison Baggerly. Popcornfinance.com slash listen and popcornfinance.com slash this is awkward. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money. Money.